The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Blitz coming, flanker screen, complete to Powell. He has blinding speed, and nobody is going to catch Powell for 74 yards. He came into this game averaging 44 yards a catch. Now it goes up. Damon Powell, a junior college transfer with great speed. This is pretty easy. Catch the ball, lower your head, see you later. 17-0 Hawkeyes. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes. Mike, we have our first of two weekly reporters' notebook segments in this podcast. The show features Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawkeyes Legends Division Road Victory at Minnesota. You'll also hear some of what Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had to say on the weekly Big Ten Coaches Call. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Brent Balbonat and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporter Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeyes Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other Reporters Notebook podcast this week with Scott Docterman. The Iowa-Minnesota game highlights are courtesy of ABC with announcers Mike Patrick and Ed Cunningham. A decent job calling this game. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz participated in the weekly Big Ten Coaches Conference call this week. Here's some of what he had to say about the point at which his team's confidence level has jumped, about the characteristics of the Iowa-Michigan State Series, about what makes it so difficult to run against the Spartans' defense, and about quarterback Jake Rudock's poise and mental approach. I don't know if there's one point, but I think I think it's been you know gradually building, and uh, you know we lost our opener, which didn't do a lot for anybody's confidence. But you know we we knew you know it's like any game, you know anything can happen in any game. So you know we knew we were playing a really good football team, and they were and are. So you just you just keep pushing, and every week's a, a different uh, adventure, if you will, it's a different challenge, and you, know, you just take it a week at a time. But uh, I, th- I think if you're doing things right, and if your team stays healthy, at least you have a chance to grow. Not to sound like Pop Warner, but I can go back to the 80s and, and think about how many just, you know, really close games we had uh, with Michigan State in the 80s. And, and it seems like it's been more of the same since Mark, you know, came came back to Michigan State. And, you know, if you look at it, we've had two games that kind of went, you know, got away. They got away from us once and, and we got away from them once. But uh, the other four games, you know, two points, three points, and two double overtime games. So it's just, I, I don't know if I can tell you why that is, but it's, uh, we've had some fantastic games. And it, in close games, like that, it usually does come back uh, to there's always a handful of things that, that take place that you know, really impact the game. And yeah, you know, my guess is we're probably looking at one of those again. 
two things. I mean, they've they've got a really, I think, challenging scheme. And if you look at it on paper, it's it's not like they do all that much, you know, on paper. But it's it's. And I remember when I was in the NFL, uh, the Steelers didn't do all that much in terms of you know trying to stop the run. But they, they there's a real method to their madness. But most importantly, and this is kind of my recollection of the Steelers too, is that they had good players that played extremely hard and were really well coached. And you know, again, it wasn't that much, but what they did do kept you from being able to be you know feel like you could ever be comfortable it just it was always a challenge and so as a result of that their their numbers are just you know they're they're it's a tough team to run the ball against really tough that's probably the thing I think all of us have been the most pleased about. I, don't know, I wouldn't say surprised, but uh, you know, you just never know until you get in games. You know, to be a successful quarterback, it sure does help if you have an awareness and, and a, just a self-control, if you will. But, uh, so far, so good. You know, he's really done a great job with that. And, and when he does make a play that you know he, he regrets, he come, comes right back and you know keeps playing. He doesn't, he doesn't let it affect him. I'm not saying it doesn't bother him, but he doesn't let it affect him, and that's that's a good sign as well. Huge fourth down, do or die for the Gophers. Over the middle, intercepted by the middle linebacker James Moore. And that ought to do it. The Hawkeyes stand tall on a fourth and five. Remember Morris earlier had that sack when he was spying the quarterback? This time, 44 spies the quarterback and gets the INT. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Time now for the first of our two weekly Reporters Notebook shows. This one with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Minnesota game and more. Steve, your overall thoughts from the Minnesota win. The Hawkeyes now sit at 4-0, 1-0 in the Big Ten. It's second straight win over the Gophers and the first in that new stadium up there. Floyd stays in Iowa City for the second consecutive year. Iowa now has two of the four traveling trophies, and Iowa's won four of its last five Big Ten openers. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of good things, isn't it? It, it, uh, it was a good Saturday for Iowa football in, in Minneapolis. Uh, some progress. Uh, you know, they, they crossed another thing off the list. They ended that six-game Big Ten losing streak. Uh, um, you know, I mean, I thought James Morris had a, had a perfect quote afterwards uh, about the fact that, you know, they feel like they're making progress, but they're not really sure where they're at right now as a team. And, and I think there's some validity to that. I, you know, as all these Big Ten teams go out and play different levels of competition in, in, in the preseason to prepare for conference play, you really don't get a gauge until two or three weeks into the league season as, as to where a given team fits. And, you know, I, I think Iowa certainly looks like it's making strides. It was, it was one of the better team defensive 
performances we've seen in a long, long time. But the question still lingers: What's going to happen when you know when they step into the games against against the teams that were expected to be in the top tier? I mean, we we you need to keep it in perspective. Minnesota and Iowa were expected to duke it out for fifth place in the division, and uh, Iowa clearly was a better team last Saturday. We'll break down the both the offense and the defense more like we usually do a bit later. But I mean, if you had to focus on one thing Saturday in sort of a, an umbrella sense, clearly the line play on both sides of the ball by Iowa was pretty good, as about as good as we've seen it in quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I think, you know, what, what you're starting to see on, on the defensive side is, is that Reese Morgan has kind of pared down the, the rotation a little bit to, to, you know, maybe six guys as opposed to the eight or nine that they started with. Uh, on the offensive side, what you're seeing is a group come together, and particularly on the left side, uh, you know, Brandon Sheriff and, and, and Connor Buffelli are, are, are doing a yeoman's job of, of opening some holes to get that running game going. And, and uh, you know, th- this was a Minnesota team that, uh, at least in theory, was supposed to be much improved up front on both sides. And Iowa took care of that. It was clearly Iowa's day on both sides of the ball, and, and that was not a good formula for Minnesota, which couldn't do anything on offense and really struggled to contain the Hawkeyes when it mattered the most. Stick with that point just a minute. Minnesota came into this game 4-0. and They had been playing solid also on both sides of the ball, and yet they were no match for Iowa at least last Saturday. Were they overrated? I mean, how do you assess this Minnesota team? Because I think it's one thing people keep asking about, how do you assess the Iowa team? Well, you know, your only real measuring stick is, is how you're playing against your opponents, but Iowa's opponents, you know, so far this year haven't been, you know, the strongest in the FBS by any means. So was Minnesota just, is it one of those games for Minnesota like it was one of those games for Western Michigan? Well, I, I think probably to a degree, and I think Iowa had something to do with that, uh, with the execution, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I, I thought Iowa's defense really set a tone uh, very quickly, took Minnesota out of a whatever kind of running game it was going to have. Uh, you know, the, the Gophers have been pretty one-dimensional, and, and when Iowa's been able to, to turn teams into one-dimensional football teams, they've generally been pretty successful over time, and uh, they were going to make Minnesota beat them through the air, and uh, you know Philip Nelson coming off of a hamstring injury, and uh, certainly didn't have his timing down, and it was one of those days where it seemed like nothing was going to work for them, and it, frankly nothing did for the most part. Uh, he had a couple of nice passes to Angle, but uh, uh, it, it was pretty much a you know an exercise in frustration. And I thought Jerry Kill made a really good point post game uh, in answer to criticism, maybe that he should have switched quarterbacks at halftime or something like that. He said frankly he just didn't feel like it was going to make any difference who was behind center, that, uh, that there wasn't going to be any room for anybody to run or do the things they needed to do to move the football. Now, that, that's a coach basically conceding at, at that point that they were simply outmatched. And you know, Minnesota's a young team uh, still. Uh, they're, they're getting his kind of players in. This is the third year of his program. And, you know, he really, he honored the commitments that uh, that Tim Brewster had collected uh, prior to to his hiring. So he really didn't have much of an impact on, on that first year's recruiting class whatsoever. It was pretty much in place by the time he got there. So, uh, you know, this is still a, a fairly young program and it, it played that way. You know, it will be interesting to see what they do moving forward and how they progress through this season as well, just from the standpoint that he's got some nice young talent and, and they're certainly, I think, probably a little better position to compete this year than maybe they were a year ago, but I don't necessarily think that uh, they were ready for the physical type of game that Iowa showed up ready to play on Saturday. And, and uh, in, in listening to some comments from Brock Vereen uh, uh, post game, uh, you know, they, they just they got hit and they didn't know how to react. And, and um, you know, Iowa had a lot to do with that. 
Well, they came in there with this vaunted rushing attack, completely stymied by Iowa. Minnesota had only 30 yards on the ground with 27 carries. They came into this game with a 4-0 record and averaging 282 rushing yards per game and 16 straight touchdowns on the ground. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and averaging just under six yards a carry, and they were held to, to 1.1 yard a carry. And, and, and Iowa had something to do with that. They actually got to the quarterback four times, four sacks. Uh, was I mean, that's an unusual number for Iowa this season, but it's a sign of growth and I think a sign of, a, of the approach that they took to that game where they felt like they could simply uh, overwhelm this team, and, and they did from every different direction. And, you know, I mean, you've got guys like uh, Nate Meyer and, and Connor, Bef- uh, not Connor Buffelli, but... Uh, uh, Louis Trinka Passat uh, collecting their uh, their first career sacks. Uh, uh, you know, it, it was one of those days for the Iowa football team. And, and you know, you had a couple of picks by uh, by Kirksey and 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 uh, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week James Morris. And you know, it, it was just an all around good team performance. Players, you know, uh, held to their assignments. They didn't try to overdo things. Uh, it, it was it was the way things are supposed to work when a team follows the game plan. And uh, uh, I think that's a sign of a mature football team. Uh, there are some you know, older guys on this team who've been around a little bit, uh, some smart players and, and uh, you know, they apparently from everything we've heard bought into the plan very early in the week and uh, by Saturday they had it down pat, no question. We've talked each week about the more aggressive nature of Iowa's defense this season and the, the additional blitzing, more blitzing than we've seen in a long time and the Hawkeyes have been fairly successful in most of the games so far this year, getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks, but just like you said the sacks weren't there yet they certainly were Saturday and one of the more interesting things was that three of those four sacks were by defensive linemen yeah absolutely it's uh, you know they're, they're coming from from all directions and I think that's a sign of a, of a defense that is is working the way it needs to work and uh, it's it certainly you know if you take a look uh, uh, not only at the sacks but also just the number of turnovers that I was been able to create in these first five games I think you know it, it's certainly a, a different look looking Iowa defense and what we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, some of that's Reese Morgan up front. Some of that, I think, is Phil, Phil Parker uh, settling into his role and also having a hands-on approach with the secondary, which, you know, continues to struggle a little bit at times, but I think that group is growing as well, and, and, and you're building it all around around that core of, of three senior linebackers who, you know, who, who've been there, done that, and seen just about everything, and, and it, it's it's an interesting group to watch at this point, and, you know, as, as the linebackers settle in to their role, what you're seeing is the guys in front of them kind of become a little more proficient at, at what they're doing, and, and it's it's certainly, uh, you know, it's it's been inter- entertaining to watch to this point. You mentioned the two picks by Morris and Kirksey, but B.J. Lowry, the previous week, was Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. In this game against the Gophers, let's just say that's probably not one he's going to put in his scrapbook. It's too many press clippings probably there, yeah. He, he was getting an earful on the sideline from Phil Parker, who who has uh, you know been known to serve up a fairly flavorful earful over over time and and uh, yeah it was not one of BJ's better games and uh, you know that happens and but they were strong enough to to overcome it in other areas and and uh, um, you know I think that uh, you know it, it's one of those things BJ will probably learn from and and uh, get back to doing what uh, what he can as the season progresses but yeah he certainly did not have a very good same afternoon on Saturday as you said Minnesota had to turn into the air because they could get nothing on the ground and even at that they only ended up with uh, 135 passing yards and I thought that was another area of improvement this game the Lowry issues aside was the fact that for the 
most part, unlike the previous four games, even with the blitz pressure, they did not, they weren't as susceptible to the long pass completion against Minnesota. No, I, th- I thought that they did a pretty good job of, of sticking with the Gophers receivers. And, and uh, you know, let's face it, I mean, Minnesota's game has been very ground oriented for a reason over the first, you know, five weeks of the season. And, and it's simply that they obviously don't have a lot of confidence in, in their passing game. And Philip Nelson, I think, Phil, between Philip Nelson and Mitch Leidner, they came into the game with 33 completions for four games. And it showed why on Saturday, uh, you know, Nelson was very inconsistent. Uh, we saw balls overthrown. We saw balls underthrown. You know, Iowa's defensive pressure certainly had a little bit to do with that. But uh, some of that is also on Nelson. He simply didn't make very many plays. As you pointed out on Twitter, Athlon Sports named Parker the Big Ten Coordinator of the Week. While I don't want to get too heavy into numbers here, there's some really interesting stats through five games, and so I thought we could just mention a couple of them. Iowa's now seventh in the nation in total defense and rushing defense. They're eighth in the nation on holding opponents down on third down conversions, 16th in a pass efficiency defense, which is mildly surprising given some of the long completions. They're also holding opponents to 65 plays per game on average. That's the 15th fewest allowed in the nation. That speaks also a little bit to the way the nature of how the game has changed, too. <laughs> yeah, they've done a, a, a great job of, of three and out. When you do that, you're going to limit the opponent's plays. But yeah, we're, you know, we're seeing with more up-tempo offenses, we're seeing the number of plays increase. But that hasn't been the case for Iowa's opponents. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they can't get a first down against this defense. And uh, if you look back at the Western Michigan game, it was at the first five or six possessions. They uh, It was three and out. And, and, and Minnesota dealt with the same type of thing until uh, about the two-minute mark of, of, of the first quarter on Saturday. And uh, it's a tough way to win a football game if, if, if your offense isn't getting anything going and uh, you're, you're constantly trotting that defense back out there. Um, it, it can be a, you know, a challenge. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think that's it's a credit to the Iowa defense and, and the, uh, the approach that they've taken. And, and, and certainly Phil Parker's uh, mentioned this week uh, um, is well-deserved. He, he's, uh, he's in the second year on the job uh, of coordinating this defense and although certainly he helped uh, w- with Norm there during the last couple of seasons and, and it's uh, uh, you know it, it's taking on its own identity the, a little more he expected his defense to be a little more aggressive maybe than what uh, than what Norm wanted and, and now we're starting to see that come to fruition. The one kind of blended stat which I think a lot of times people say well that's an offensive stat but it's really a stat on both sides of the ball is time of possession. Iowa just dominating opponents so far through the five games in their fourth nationally in time of possession, averaging 35 minutes and 50 seconds, almost 36 minutes in possession time for each game. Now, part of that's what you just mentioned. It's the defense forcing opponents into a lot of three and outs, but then the offense also has a lot to say about that and its ability to sustain drives, even though they haven't always been able to complete drives inside the red zone. Yeah, and I think we saw a lot of that in the second half on Saturday. We saw we saw drives that were designed to chew some clock, and, and, and some of that is uh, you know, some of that is the way that the, the calls are coming, uh, you know, from from Greg Davis, and, and some of that is is uh, is some smarts on the part of Jake Rudock, and I, I don't think we can uh, we can discount that either. I think he, he's managing a very good game for a for a first year starting quarterback, and one of the things that uh, uh, we saw, you know, and as as the game got to the fourth quarter, I mean, the ball was being put into the hands of Wiseman and Bullock much more frequently and, and much more consistently for you know those short four or five yard t- 
type games to just simply grind the clock down and and wear an opponent out and and I think that uh, you know that, that's been a, a very effective thing for Iowa the last couple of weeks and I think we're going to continue to see that because frankly it's working um, I, you know I thought there was some variety again in the in the play calling early on in the game uh, uh, you know some nice plays to kind of build a lead and and some aggression when you needed had a chance to maybe make a play or two and you know it was a nice combination this this is an offense that's found a pretty good rhythm although it kind of varies tempos of that rhythm it certainly seems to be working at a pretty high level to your point there against Minnesota it's almost a carbon copy of what they did against Western Michigan in the fourth quarter time of possession was more to two to one in Iowa's favor in the fourth quarter each of the last two games so it's like when the game's on the line late whether it's a blowout or a closer game like this game was they're really keeping the ball in the offensive's hands a lot of that fourth quarter time and it's certainly you know you're, what you're doing there is you're eliminating an opportunity for the opponent to to make some sort of a comeback unless I will make some mistake and uh, you know and we we did see a mistake by Rudock in the in the end zone right right at the start of the fourth quarter on Saturday and and uh, you know those are the things that uh, you know can turn a game but uh, you know in that case Minnesota didn't get any points out of the pick uh, you know he he held the ball a little too late it was uh, uh, you know and that played right into Brock Vereen's hands and and uh, it, it, fortunately it didn't cost Iowa but uh, it, it certainly could have and, and you know another situation where Rudock has a chance to learn and uh, you know he continues to make a for a few first year mistakes which uh, you know that's that's going to continue I don't think that's probably going to change I, I, I presume that we'll see them maybe a, a little less frequently but that's uh, uh, that's part of the deal when you go with a first year guy behind center yeah overall that looked to be about his only significant mistake important to remember frankly it's kind of hard to remember as you watch him play that was only his fifth game as a starter his first start in the Big Ten only a second start on the road very poised uh, you know and that, that's the one thing I think that has just stood out since day one with the kid and, uh, yeah it's becoming easier and easier to see why he was picked to be the guy you know he's pretty unflappable when he does make a mistake he moves on he's got that ability to just kind of flush it and go on to the next play and forget about it and, and uh, you know we've seen quarterback after quarterback not be able to do that this kid understands that you've you've got to be able to take that one play and move on to the next play whether it's a good play or a bad play you just got to go on and, and and do the next one he's uh, he's shown that ability and and uh, that I think is has helped uh, you know with the confidence uh, that the line in front of him and and the other skilled players around him haven't haven't Jake and uh, you know it's been a pretty steady ship so far he had his fifth rushing touchdown of the season in the second quarter a four yard uh, run around the right hand side he continues and I think Marv Cook talks about this the last couple of weeks so impressed with how well Rudock extends plays yeah absolutely he's one of those guys that has that ability and and I mean we we, we saw it a couple times last week where where he made a, a great decision at the right time to take off with that ball and and create something uh, when maybe there wasn't anything there in the past game at that particular point. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that defenses are, are at some point going to have to be a little more aware of and defend probably. Uh, you know, I, I think they're aware that he's out there, but I, I don't think he's been quite the focus that maybe we will see perhaps this week with Michigan State and the defense they're bringing to town. But, uh, you know, it's been a, uh, you know, it's been an, an interesting weapon to, to be part 
part of that arsenal, and and it just gives teams one more thing to think about, and and uh, uh, you know whether it be for you know a nice 15-yard run to for a first down, or or cutting off to the right side and heading towards the corner of the end zone when everything else is looking left. I mean, he he's done a nice job Saturday, especially in the fourth quarter again, but we saw it in other places in the game. He did a great job on third and long in several key situations. And interesting, here's another stat. Rudock is now 12 of 17, almost 71% on third and between seven and nine yards. That compared to last year, and really, frankly, for, for several years, that's an amazing stat. It's Yeah, and no matter who's behind center, um, the, the, that tells you that, uh, that the kid is, is tuned into you know where that ball needs to go um, and where the best possible place is to put the ball, whether it be a pass play or a run play in that situation. But typically in those, in, in the ones we're talking about, the, I mean, he had two third and nines and a third and eight uh, on on one series that uh, that he converted. You know, it, it certainly was a it was a good uh, it was a uh, you know one of those things. I mean, it's just something he has uh, the ability to do, the ability to uh, to make critical plays at critical moments, and you know that certainly has has helped this football team. Yeah, the Hawks are 14th in the nation on third down conversions, completing converting third downs 53% of the time. Last year they were just under 34%. Some of that's on the receivers too. I mean, we're seeing a few more yards after catch uh, as well, uh, which uh, you know that, that's extending a few plays too. I mean, we, we obviously we saw it with the screen and the swing pass to to uh, Demon Powell and, and Adam Cox uh, respectively last week. But uh, you know the the ability to uh, to find some open space after the catch and, and do something with it. Uh, uh, you know, you're starting to see this offense work the way that, that Greg Davis envisions it working. And, uh, you know, those the screen plays on occasion, you know, they do work. And, and it, you know, it, it's a growth period. And, and when they're executed, they're pretty good plays. But when, uh, uh, you know, when uh, when they get uh, dropped or what, or what have you, it's it's uh, uh, it can be pretty frustrating. We've talked a lot about Iowa's passing, but they're running the ball more than all but eight teams in the entire NCAA this season. Nearly 66% called runs. Last year, that was a much more balanced number at 48%. But I think one of the interesting things, again, in the last couple of games, even though there is that significant run-to-pass disparity, the yards in those two categories is not as big a disparity. But there's no there's no denying the running game has been a pound and ground out the opponent. Well, I think everybody felt coming into this season that, that Iowa was going to have to try to be a power running team, especially until some of those receivers kind of get their legs under them a little bit. And and that's what we've seen develop, whether it be, you know, Wiseman, uh, you know, bowling his way through through the heart of a defense or, or Bullock picking up some fairly decent yards with with his carries. And, you know, I mean, he had 47 yards on Saturday that, you know, and some of those on 11 carries, which, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty good, pretty good average. And, uh, you know, he made some plays as well. And I, I think what we're seeing is, is uh, you know, the development of a, of a pretty uh, a solid run game to uh, that uh, you know I think in time will be complemented even more by the passes as that part of the game develops. They were only 50% in red zone scoring last Saturday, and this is a problem. For if you had to pick out one problem right now that that is continuing a bit, it looks to get better each week. But it's still this finishing drive thing. There they've attempted 10 field goals. That's more than any other team in the Big Ten. 23 trips to the red zone, which is very highly ranked in the Big Ten, only 11 touchdowns. So that still seems probably, you'd think that's a lot of the focus in practice. I would sure suspect so. Uh, 
you know, that, that's been the one problematic area that, that is kind of carried over from last season. You know, and thankfully they've got a fairly consistent kicker in Mike Meyer. And but, I mean, you you don't always want to be putting it out there for three. You, the preference when you get inside the twenty is is to put the six on the board. And uh, you know that that's uh, you know Wiseman's average per carry drops considerably inside the twenty. But you know some of that is how defenses are, are lining up at that point as well. But uh, uh, it, it is kind of the unfinished part of of this uh, Iowa offense. Uh, it really has not you know significantly improved its its production numbers inside the twenty compared to where they were a year ago. Rudock continues to spread the ball around. Eight receivers caught passes again. Interesting that Hamilton started over Fedorowicz. Yeah, um, you know, and I, Kirk was asked that following the game, and and you know his response was basically that Ray Ray had been doing fairly well in practice and had certainly produced in in uh, in the Western Michigan game, uh, and, and that they were equally pleased with CJ that he's uh, he's done you know fairly well and and uh, that they just opted to to give Ray a start this past week, and I, and I think you know it, it has a lot to do with production. I think in in, in the previous week's game, I, I think you know either either of those two guys. Can can deal with it. CJ's had a few more drops, and uh, uh, you know I think probably the subtle message being sent there, or maybe not so subtle, is is that uh, you know if the ball's coming your way, you better put your hands on it and hold on to it. And uh, you know uh, CJ will get some more opportunities down the road. He had one one reception on Saturday, and Ray is a younger guy who is uh, you know catching on uh, you know fairly well, and he, he's uh, you know another one of those you know typical Iowa tight ends that uh, that we've seen uh, you know a couple of this year. And I mean they threw another ball George Kittle's way the other day. He didn't hold on to it but uh, on on the sideline, but, uh, you know, they are making ample use of, of the tight ends, and, and uh, right now Hamilton probably has been the most consistent of that lot. If you asked Iowa fans to pick their favorite offensive play of the game last Saturday, I'm guessing it would, without a doubt, be DeMond Powell's reception for a long touchdown. If you just watched that one clip of that game, you would say, wow, that's almost SEC-type speed. Yeah, very unusual for Iowa. It's been a few years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think if you take a look uh, back, and then uh, Kirk brought this up post-game as well on Saturday, uh, you know, C.J. Jones is probably the last guy that they've really used that play with very much, with much success. And it's a tunnel screen, and, and uh, C, you know, C.J. knew what to do with it, and, and Powell knew what to do with it, and Kevin Casper knew what to do with it prior to that. So, it, you know, it's been one of those plays that's kind of been in the arsenal for a long time, but you've got to have the right guy to make it work and you know that's a guy who can one catch the ball and and then two you know basically take off like you're being shot out of a cannon and and, you know Powell certainly has that kind of breakaway speed and you know that's something that teams are going to have to respect more and more I think he's averaging what 51 and a half yards on on four catches amazing (laughs) yeah uh, you know if he can hold that up over the course of the season uh, you know I think he'd probably take that but uh, uh, you know the the kid is is learning Um, you know I think there's no doubt that he's still trying to you know kind of feel his way around this offense and, and they're looking for ways to put him in positions to make plays, and we certainly saw one of those positions on, on Saturday. And you know, it'll be interesting to see you know what kind of spots they put him in down the road because uh, you know he's a game changer, and uh, you know, and he is a junior. The clock is running for this kid. He's only got two years at this level, so uh, you know, I think that uh, you know we're going to see him a little more as the season progresses, but uh, and probably the more the better uh, because uh, you know the kids the kids got an electric ability with those feet. And as you said, it, yeah, it's very SEC-like. That's a perfect transition into just a couple of points on special teams. Pre-game, Powell was working as a kick returner. Cotton and Kanzari have handled those duties.
duties so far. But you have to think Powell would be very intriguing back there with that speed. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it obviously starts with catching the ball and uh, you know for him to be out there with that group pregame tells you that they're gaining a little more confidence in, in his ability to do both of those things that you know at least that they're willing to, to show that during a pregame you know whether or not uh, you know whether or not he's he's going to uh, you know displace Jordan Cotton or, or perhaps uh, you know line up back with him uh, from time to time you know we'll see over the you know the upcoming weeks but uh, uh, you know with that that kind of speed uh, it sure is intriguing uh, when you start to think about the possibilities. Yeah, Cotton's done a decent job back there. I don't recall Ken Zeri getting the chance yet to return many, but if you had Powell and Cotton back there as a team, it'd be tough to kick away from one. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to kind of pick your poison. Mike Meyer, three or four in field goals with the, his his third made field goal uh, last Saturday. He became the third leading scorer in Iowa history. He extended his consecutive PATs made. The only real issue, I thought, overall in the entire game was that kicker off coverage. It, it poked its ugly head up again. That has to be fixed, or that could be a serious Achilles heel for this team in yeah, the rest think, of the Big Ten. Yeah, I think we may see some personnel changes there, or at least some experimentation probably going on in practice uh, uh, that we may or may not know about, but <laughs> I, I think that's that's been kind of the constant problem on special teams so far this season, and, and they have been very vulnerable in terms of giving up some pretty lengthy returns. And, you know, Minnesota had a couple in, in the second half that, uh, you know, in a tight game, certainly have the potential uh, to cost you. Now, Minnesota's offense wasn't effective enough to get anything done against the Iowa defense, uh, so it didn't really come back to bite them too much this past week, but uh, there are teams looming down the road that if you uh, you make those same mistakes against, uh, you know, a healthy Venrick Mark at, at Northwestern, um, you're, you're going to have a problem on your hands. To wrap up here, Susan did last week's show, and she and Mark both answered this question. You haven't had the chance to answer it yet. You have the advantage of the extra game. Five games in, where do you think this team is? I think this team is probably a little bit ahead of where I anticipated it being at this point in the season. Uh, I, I would say that I'm cautiously optimistic that they have made some uh, improvements that may show in a tangible fashion in terms of wins and losses. Uh, however, I, I would also caution that they were 4-2 and two after six games a year ago, and we all know how things finished up. You know, this is a team that's making progress. They're doing some things better, which is what I anticipated. I thought this would be a better football team. I, I said going back into the preseason that I wasn't sure that that would be reflected uh, totally in the record because of who they played and where they played people. But uh, And there certainly are much more tougher opponents, uh, you know, looming as, as you look a little bit down the road. Nobody likes to look ahead, especially the coaches or the players, but, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, you know, in a couple of weeks, they're going to be stepping on the field with Ohio State, and, and then they're going to follow that with Northwestern, Wisconsin, and wrap it up after a game with Purdue, uh, you know, with games against Michigan and, and Nebraska. So they're making strides now. Is it, Are they strides that will allow them to compete successfully in, in late October, November? Uh, time will tell. Um, you know, they've stayed re- relatively healthy so far, um, and I think that will continue to be a key for this team that can't afford to lose, uh, you know, some of their critical components, whether it be linemen, we saw what that did a year ago, or or skilled players, certainly. But, uh, you know, it's a promising start, and uh, that certainly beats the alternative. And, uh, you know, I think uh, not unlike what James Moore said uh, on Saturday, you know, he, he likes where they're at, but he's not quite certain where they're at. And, and I think I would tend to agree with that at this point. Uh, you know, whether they're going to be able to climb much in, in the uh, Legends Division uh, standings, we'll, uh, we'll find out here in upcoming weeks. Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? 
smell bacon. Bacon, bacon, gotta be bacon. Only one thing smells like bacon. That's bacon. Bacon, 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 bacon. Chewy, yummy, smoky bacon. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. No, 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 no. It's bacon. The Hawkeyes once again claim Floyd of Rosedale in the most popular trophy game in the Big Ten. Big day for Iowa. The Hawkeyes did what they do best. And Jake Rudock served notice that if they have to throw the ball, they can do it. And he's got some guys who can catch it. Final 23 7. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. <laughs> Our thanks again to ABC for the game highlights this week, and thanks to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. You can call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.